a warm-hearted good morning. Welcome to the Brunpen Studios, where we tackle contentious issues that affect our Christian world. This morning, no exception to the rule, and our topic for discussion, speaking in tongues. Well, the first occurrence of speaking in tongues occurred on the day of Pentecost, in the Bible, Acts 2 and verse 1 to 4, the apostles went out and shared the gospel with the crowds, speaking to them in their own languages. Quote, unquote, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, according to Acts 2 and verse 11. The Greek word translated tongues literally means languages. Therefore, the gift of tongues is speaking in a language a person does not know in order to minister to someone who does speak that language. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14, Paul discusses miraculous gifts, saying, and I quote him, Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction, according to 1 Corinthians fourteen six, According to the Apostle Paul, and in agreement with the tongues described in Acts, speaking in tongues is valuable to the one hearing God's message in his or her own language. But it is useless to everyone unless it is interpreted or translated. A person with a gift of interpreting tongues, according to 1 Corinthians 12.30, could understand what a tongue speaker was saying, even though he did not know the language that was being spoken. The tongue interpreter would then communicate the message of the tongue speaker to everyone else, so all could understand. For this reason, anyone who speaks in tongues should pray that he may interpret what he says, says the Bible in 1 Corinthians fourteen thirteen. Paul's conclusion regarding tongues that were not interpreted is powerful. He says, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. You'll find that scripture in 1 Corinthians 14 and 19. So the question that we look at today is the gift of tongues for today. Stay with us as we here at Brunpunt ask the hard questions that really matters and demands an answer. Don't stir, go away as we'll be back with our respondents right after this. Well, we're back with our respondents online as promised, and we invited Pastor Matt Fulyun. Matt, a warm-hearted good morning uh, to you. However, for those who haven't met you, just in a nutshell, short background bio, please. Good morning, Vainant. Yes, I'm pastor of a small startup church in the east of Pretoria. We've been going for just over three years, and uh, that is where I serve presently. Speaking on the topic of uh, tongues, what is your understanding of the term speaking in tongues? It's always best and obviously the safest to refer back to Scripture to define the term tongues. Uh, the Bible uses two words in the original language that translates into the word tongue. And studying those two words makes clear that this refers to existing, understandable, and spoken languages. In the first part of Acts 2, we see 
um, three dynamics developing. That's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, then the um, evaluation of what is happening there, and then Peter's explanation of what is happening there. That all happens in the first 22 verses of Acts 2. And um, remember, there is there's no real wind. It's only the sound of a wind. There's no real fire. It's only the appearance of tongues that look like fire. And then there are 15 languages spoken by the disciples and the people around. They understand those 15 languages, the ones that use that as their mother tongue. So in Acts 2 verse 4, we see the first word. It's the word glossa, Greek word glossa, that refers to the organ. It also refers to a human language and this specific word. And that's why I mentioned the word, not to be fancy. But this specific word glossa, we find more than 50 times in the new testament and it also refers to a spiritual gift to speak a language that you have not learned that's the one word the other word and I'll, I'll mention the greek word as well because it's easily understandable is the word dialectos meaning dialect and that always refers to an existing and known language so here we have two words that are used in acts to refer to tongues and they are connected to each other and they both refer to spoken languages, and one refers then to a specific gifts, a gift. So that is how I understand the term speaking in tongues. Um, Matt, what then the Bible makes a reference uh, of uh, tongues uh, as, as a gift. What is your understanding? What does that mean when the Bible says that tongues is a gift from God? Well, again, uh, the, the Greek word glossa, does contain the option of the spiritual gift given to someone to speak in a language that he has not learned before. Now, a gift is exactly that. It is something given to someone that he does not expect and that, uh, that he does not earn. It is totally in the hands of the gift giver to decide when and to whom he will give this gift. Now, very important is that in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30, it is made clear that not everybody receives this gift. It is not a common gift. Not everybody yeah. receives it. And the earlier in 1 Corinthians 12, it makes clear when you have received this gift, it is in order to serve others. It is not for yourself. Are we allowed to ask for this gift? Yeah, you can surely ask for this gift, but you cannot claim that it should be given to you. And when you received something that you believe is this gift, it must be evaluated against Scripture. If you've just joined us, uh, talking to Pastor Matt Fulyun about uh, speaking in tongues. Matt, in 1 Corinthians uh, 14, verse 22, uh, the, the Bible talks about tongues as a sign to unbelievers. Why? What does that mean? Well, th that verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 22, is in agreement with Acts 2, verse 11, that states that the disciples used this gift to proclaim the mighty deeds of God and based on the context of, of the book of Acts and Peter's sermon a few verses later in Acts 2, these mighty deeds refers to Christ's work and his resurrection and ascension. Now, God's focus and our focus is the gospel to unbelievers. So this then makes sense and it is confirmed in Acts 10, if you go um, ever look at Acts 10, verse 44 to 47, regarding evangelism towards the Romans. And Peter was there to confirm that 
Cornelius, the Roman soldier, and the people around him were saved and that they received the same Holy Spirit because they showed the same, there's the word glossa, language. Yeah. It's, a, it's a gift to them. And the next confirmation is in chapter 19, verse 4, where the same happens to the disciples of John, and they, John the Baptist, and they proclaimed the gospel. So all is still the same with no sinister meaning to the word tongues. And in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, those three chapters, this principle is confirmed. So it is assigned to unbelievers. It is used to give the gospel and proclaim God's work to people who does not believe. Well, according to the scriptures, it's a gift. It's assigned to uh, unbelievers. What would you then say is the purpose of speaking in tongues? Following from all this, the purpose is indicated by the previous passages as extending the gospel and the works of God. That is the purpose, okay. as the Bible gives it oh. to us. Uh, according to your knowledge and understanding of the Scriptures, the Bible in front of you, did Jesus ever speak in tongues? <laughs> well, I'll answer it this way. He surely did. Dialectos, dialects, primarily Aramaic, because that was the common language of the region where Jesus lived and worked in the first century. He would quite probably have been able to speak Greek because that was the international and the trade language. And he mostly quotes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament when he quotes the Bible. And then quite possibly Hebrew. And we read in John 19, 17, it refers to the Hebrew language. And Jesus also spoke to Moses and Elijah on the mountain of transfiguration. And he read from Isaiah's scroll in Luke 4, verse 16 to 19, most probably in Hebrew. So did he speak in tongues? Yes, he spoke spoke in dialects, three of them Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew, and he probably knew a few Latin words as well, because that was a common language as well. Keeping in mind that he is God and the giver of tongues, not so. Sure, he is God and the giver of tongues, no, no question about that. Now, the reason we're doing this program is simply a lot of people saying, no, tongues is not meant for this modern day and age. It's something that only happened in the Bible. What is your take on it? Is the gift of tongues also meant for today? Well, the Bible nowhere states that it is not possible and it should not be done. But it is, it clearly, the Bible clearly gives the meaning of the word tongues, as I've uh, described those two words. And it also clearly states, the Bible does, that it is for evangelistic purposes. And it clearly restricts the use of tongues for the sake of unbelievers, as well as the restriction for only those who receive the gift and then at most three people in the church. So the conclusion then is surely not in the way it is being used in general today. And then, and, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, please help the thousands of missionaries understand that they don't have to go to language school to learn the languages of the people they are trying to evangelize. They should just get the gift. And we know, I, that's why I say, I, I say this tongue-in-cheek, we know this does not happen. People have to work hard to learn a language, to evangelize people with a specific language. It, we just don't see it operating today in the way that we see it in the Bible. That's very interesting. What do you mean by that? That people have to go, missionaries have to go to language school, and they have to learn languages, and they don't just receive this gift. There are instances that people are referred as or, or they some people say that they've heard of this and that person receiving the gift well have you ever met them missionaries need to go to language school so we don't see the gift operating in the way that it was given in acts and in corinthians it just doesn't happen so scriptures does not conclusively assert that the gift of speaking in tongues has ceased or does it 
Well, I'll, I'll refer to the previous answer. We don't see the evidence of that. Right. Um, scripture does not say it has ceased, but we don't see the evidence. And there's clear indication of Scripture that it is only used under restricted circumstances. Okay. Uh, Matt, the Bible also says if anyone speak in tongues, two or three uh, at most should speak one at a time. Uh, and indeed, somebody should interpret. Uh, what if there's no interpreter? We get the answer to that one in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to read. But if there is no interpreter, the person speaking in tongues must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and God. And the clear meaning here is that this person that has received the gift to use a particular language should not use that language in the church assembly if there is not someone to interpret. Now, that does not just mean translate. That also means to correctly state what he is saying in a different language. So the answer to that is, keep quiet and sit down. That is what 1 Corinthians 14.28 says. So tongues does not seem to occur today in a, in a, in a manner that did in the New Testament. We've, we've touched on that briefly, despite the fact that it would be immensely useful. Um, what is your understanding of how people are using tongues today in the way they're using it and um, what would your final comments be on this? Very important, Vainant. The first appearance of tongues as we see today, the first appearance of that, is well documented in history. That was just over 100 years ago, in the early 1900s in the U.S. And it was spread by a man by the name of Charles Parham. You can go and read about him. And then one of his disciples, a man by the name of William Seymour. Now, what they have given us, these two men, is the confusion we see today, something that most certainly, according to all linguistic studies being done, are not languages. It sounds. But people love making the sounds. They believe it means something. And people, and I understand this, I used to live in that world. People get emotional when someone like myself shows from Scripture that what they are doing is surely not the spiritual gift of First Corinthians yeah. um, and, and Acts, and that they are transgressing a number of clear New Testament teachings by, by using their sounds. For myself, yeah. I will quote Paul in First Corinthians 4 verse 6, I will not go beyond what has been revealed by God in Scripture. So, not to put you back against the wall, you call it sounds. How would you know that it's not some strange dialect from Kazakhstan or something from the Arctic North Pole or somewhere? How would you know and, you know, simply call it sounds? How would you know it's not a dialect from another strange well, place? I read First Corinthians twelve, thirteen, and 14 combined with Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19, and I understand that these were understandable languages. It was used for evangelism. And it was used in the church under restricted circumstances, one, two or three people. And then it was interpreted. And if there's no interpreter, you do not use it. So the way it's used today is clearly not in line with Scripture. And as I've said, there are numerous linguistic studies that have been done on the, on the sounds that's been made today. And there's no connection whatsoever to existing languages. Th that would be clear reasons why I would come to the conclusion I do. With that, a sincere thanks to Pastor Matt Fulyun for your input to this program. God bless you, sir, and thank you so much for chatting to us here at Brandpunt. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Vainant. Well, on the line, we've got uh, Pastor Glenn Waterson uh, to share his heart with us. Glenn, just in a nutshell, your background, bio, and your involvement with the Body of Christ, please. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I've uh, been pastoring for about uh, 20 something years and uh, enjoyed a journey of uh, 
God grabbing a hold of my heart at about 14 years old. I'm almost 50 years old now. So uh, coming from a family who didn't know God or didn't enjoy church to um, God grabbing a hold of my life at about 14 and then changing my whole family's life uh, for the next years and uh, ended up in working in the church over the last 20 something years. Fantastic. Uh, Honored to have you on board this morning. Our topic for discussion, speaking in tongues. What is your understanding of the term speaking in tongues? How do you understand it? How would you define it? Well, I would say depending on who you ask, um, there are different views and uh, different church practices and different denominations that have different views around this. I would say um, it would also depend on whether I was a cessationist or something or someone who believes that some of these things have ceased or a continuationist or someone who believes that these things have continued up until today. But for me personally, I would say uh, speaking in tongues is something that is both public, uh, can be done, oh, well, there's a public aspect to it and a private aspect. I enjoy something of the private aspect of it um, that encourages and and builds me up and edifies me. And uh, and so I, I feel in a sense, I would say you're speaking to a, a Pentecostal charismatic at the moment, so yeah. I I do believe in a sense today um, in in the in the gift of tongues. Um, not that it's necessary for salvation or um, needed to be done by everybody. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. The concept of speaking in tongues is it the scriptural context? Do you one find it in scriptures, and do you find it in the Old Testament or just in the New Testament, or do you find it in both uh, the Old and the New? For me, I think. Uh, I think there's an empowering that happens in the New Testament that I think we can all enjoy. There's, I think, Paul's aspect of talking about being baptized in the Spirit compared to Luke's version of being baptized in the Spirit. Um, I think Paul is talking more about the new birth, whereas Luke, for me, is talking about the empowerment, the empowering two Christians, to those who already are born again, um, in a sense, a second filling. To your knowledge, uh, any mention of it in the Old Testament? I would say I know that the Holy Spirit was active and at work in the Old Testament, and it's very clear that the Holy Spirit moved on people and and operated in and through people. In terms of the gift of tongues specifically, I would say uh, it happened before the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. So that's, according to my knowledge, I would I would look at it like that. All right. Now, you mentioned the Holy Spirit. We talk about a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one. Mm. Uh, to your knowledge, did Jesus speak in tongues? I think Jesus could have done anything he wanted to. And so I, I presume he could have spoken any language he wanted to. So I presume he could have well have done that. Now, Glenn, what would you say is the purpose of speaking in tongues? I would say, for me, I think um, it must be for the upbuilding of the church if it is a public moment. So for me, um, there needs to be interpretation. I don't think if there's no interpretation for these things, then I would say it's not going to edify the body. So if there is a public aspect, I think there needs to be some sort of interpretation of it. And so it's interesting to see that it's not a translation, but an interpretation, which means the translation is for for possibly um, an earthly tongue, but uh, interpretation is needed for heaven, a heavenly language. And so there's also different types of tongues for me. There's an earthly tongue, uh, which the scriptures uh, speak about a lot in Acts 
And then there's also a heavenly tongue, and, and I think the heavenly tongue needs interpretation, earthly tongue needs translation. How, how would one know which is which? Paul has got a lot to say about it, and he says if there's no interpretation or layout of it, rather than not do it. But how would you know which is which? And also, I want to ask you about the, the Greek translate the word tongues as a language. You talk about a heavenly language. What is our understanding of these languages? Is it is it definitely a language that somewhere, somehow, on earth, somebody can understand it, though you might not might not know what you're saying? Or and and how would you then understand the term heavenly language? I mean, all I can say is that I, th- I think in terms of um, testimonies, um, the, the you know there there are testimonies of people that have been speaking in an unknown language uh, to them, but somebody else has heard it as a known language, if that makes sense. So somebody could be, um, in a sense, speaking in, in a heavenly, or they consider themselves speaking in a heavenly language, and somebody else hears it as a known language and says, gee, I could hear you speaking perfect Chinese or when you were, when you were saying those things. And so I think it it depends on what the Holy Spirit is doing. Sometimes I think he touches people's ears to hear a known language. And um, he's actually just uh, touching people's tongues to speak in a language that is unknown to them. Glenn, hence the reason for today's program, the topic speaking in tongues. Some people believe it's just meant for scriptures. Days gone by, some reckon, no, it's, it's still applicable to this very day. What is your take on it? I think uh, the Pentecostals for me over the last uh, 120 years or so, um, and especially in the charismatic move, I think they have, uh, people have really asked God for more of an experiential journey in their Christianity, not just doctrinal or a a mental aspect. Um, Sometimes they've done damage uh, in the sense of they've run after the experiential so much that they've forgotten the doctrines. Of the faith, and so um, I think it's important for the Pentecostals and Charismatics to at least still uh, still make sure that the doctrines are there, as they really ask God for um, for to for a continuous filling up of of the Holy Spirit for power. I think it's good for us to ask for a fresh filling. I think the Puritans and and Martin Lord Jones's language was always a um, Lord, give me a fresh filling today. I need a fresh filling today of your Holy Spirit for, for power today. And I love that language. I feel like I use it also for me, use it today. And I, I, I would encourage us to use that kind of language. Yeah. The Bible says if anyone speak in tongues, uh, two or three, the most uh, should speak uh, at a time. But if there's no interpretation, then they should rather keep quiet. What if there's no interpretation? Is it meant to be done in church Amongst the body of Christ, however, the Bible talks about the sign to unbelievers. A bit of an enigma, isn't it? It's, it's meant for, for in the body of Christ, but a sign to unbelievers. How do you understand that? And only to be done if there's definitely interpretation. I think for the believers, there's a public and private tongues for me. And uh, uh, I think it's good to know which ones those are. But I think when it's done in public, I think it is a sign for the unbelievers. Uh, biblically, it, it explains that it should be, it's a sign for the unbelievers. I think there's many unbelievers um, sitting in our pews in the churches today. And um, and so I, I don't mind tongues coming in a community as long as there is some sort of interpretation or translation if it's, if it's an earthly tongue. 
or uh, if it's a heavenly tongue, some interpretation with it. Otherwise, it doesn't help um, the community and uh, um, itself, but um, it is definitely a sign for the yeah. unbelievers. Glenn, you made mention of it. Uh, tongues does not seem to occur today in the manner that it did in the uh, New Testament, despite the fact that it would be immensely useful. What would your message be to the body of Christ? Is it tongues, speaking in tongues, just a denominational uh, thing, if I, if I may use that respectfully, that word? What would your message be to the body of Christ with regards to the gift of tongues? I would um, I'd certainly encourage, uh, you know, obviously, if you're a cessationist and you believe that uh, the, some of the gifts of the Spirit have ceased today, then um, obviously there probably would not be too much of a desire to experience anything other than the new birth. Um, and uh, and the Holy Spirit is still active for me um, uh, in terms of regenerating and taking out a heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit does that work, and the Holy Spirit inspires Scripture. So as even if you're a cessationist and don't believe in the gifts of the continuation of the gifts of the Spirit, um, I think a cessationist still gets to enjoy something of, of the relationship with God that they have. Um, in my sense, I, I'm being a probably a continuationist, uh, the, the believing in the continuation of the gifts, I feel there's a, a real need for us to experience more of, of the Holy Spirit and experience more of God, but not not at the expense of truth or the expense of the doctrines of the faith. And so I think there needs to be a health, a healthy development in that. And that's why yeah. we need discipleship today. Just in closing, you made mention of a heavenly language in your inner room, speaking to our heavenly father in your tongue. What does it mean to you as a pastor, as an individual, most of all as a Christian, to address God in a heavenly tongue that your mind cannot understand? Yeah, um, I, I'm very grateful um, for, uh, I think God did something in my life where I think I do make use of a, in a sense, I feel it's possibly a heavenly language. Um, it's not something that I feel I should be, uh, it's, it's necessary to boast about or to do anything but I, uh, like that. But I, I want to express probably from, from my side, I'm extremely encouraged um, with the use of being able to pray in tongues or sing in the spirit. I call it, I call it singing in the spirit or praying in the spirit, um, where there's a for me a language that goes beyond my understanding. And so um, I enjoy that privately, probably more than I do publicly, um, unless I really feel that there's some sort of public um, need for it or the Holy Spirit is encouraging me to do that publicly with hopefully the interpretation thereof. So for me, I would say it's been an incredible um, empowering journey for me. And I now do want to encourage the body of Christ to ask the Holy Spirit and ask God for more than what they have, uh, what we have for now. I think it's good that we desire these gifts, that we um, desire some more of the presence or the experiential presence of the Holy Spirit without us demanding it with an arrogance, but to humbly um, ask God for more of him and for more of um, what he can do in and through us. It is it is as he wills. Everything it is as he wills. And it's for his glory anyway, not for our glory or for our ministries. It's for his ministry and his glory. So I would encourage every Christian to keep asking for a fresh 
continuous infilling of the Spirit to empower them for ministry. So says uh, Pastor Glenn Waterson on the topic of speaking in tongues and the gift thereof. Glenn, thank you so much for chatting to us here at Brontemont. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate the time.